Father God, we just want to say thank you for the opportunity to come together today and seek your face. And Lord, as we talk about and we sing about making you the center of our lives, God, we ask today that you would help us to really understand and know what that means. Lord, I believe that pretty much everybody in this room wants to know you more. They want you to be the center of their life. God, they want to they want to live for you. And a lot of the times we just don't really understand what that means or what that looks like. And so God, we just pray today that you would you would work and move in our hearts. God, that we would allow ourselves to be open for you to pour out your Holy Spirit in our life to change us, to, to mold us into the people that you want us to be. God, I pray that we would not be stubborn enough to think that we already have it figured out or that we, we don't have any work to do. Lord, we all have something, that, some way that we can grow, some way that we can draw near to you in our lives. And God, I just pray that you would speak and work and do that today. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for our brothers and sisters who are gathered here. We thank you for the ones who are at home, who are watching right now. Lord, even the ones who are following us from different places across the country. Lord, just thank you for for them. And God, for the ones who want to be here and just can't. God, we lift all these people up to you and ask that your spirit would be with them today. And God, that you would touch and move and work in their lives. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we just ask that you would visit with us today in a special way. And we ask all this in your precious and holy name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. What is so good to see you this morning. Glad to see a lot of people back from vacation and traveling and things like that. Um, But we are starting a new series, and we are focusing on prayer over the next several weeks. And uh, many of you in here might be like, oh my gosh, like this guy's going to talk about prayer. I've heard a million sermons on prayer. Uh, There's been, you know, if you've ever been to church, you've heard some pastor talk about prayer. You've heard some Christian talk about how you should pray, how you should pray about it and all this stuff. And, and, And that is true. Like, I understand that this morning. My biggest message that I want to relay to you this morning is that I'm not here to beat a dead horse. Okay? I don't want to just say pray and just say that you should be praying and all that stuff. Because that's true. Like, we've heard it a million times. But I want to call us to allow God to move in a way that brings life back to the horse that we should be riding on and accomplishing things with. Okay, and there's a big difference between the two. We're not going to beat a dead horse. We want to ask God to bring life to the horse that we should be riding on to accomplish the things that he's called us to in this life. All right, so we're going to focus on prayer. Title of the series is Prayer 101. This is like it for like prayers for beginners, for, for, you know, like if you had the book, Prayer for Dummies, okay, this is it. Like this is when Jesus said, you should pray, this is how you should pray, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer. You all know it. If you played any kind of sport growing up in Little League, uh, you know the Lord's Prayer. I didn't go to church a whole lot as a kid. By the age of four, I knew the Lord's Prayer playing flag football for the Seahawks up at the community center. Before every game, we said the Lord's Prayer. After the game, we said every Lord's Prayer. And in every sport that I ever played all the way up through high school and in college, we did the Lord's Prayer. You understand what I'm saying? You know it. And there are going to be a temptation in your life this morning to, to, to say, Oh my gosh, we're just talking about the same thing that we always say. We're going to talk about Lord's Prayer that we already know. And my greatest desire for you today is is that God can take something that sounds so familiar to all of us and he can reveal something to you that's brand new in a way that you've never thought or seen before. Because that's how God works, right? I mean, that's the most amazing thing is that in the midst of just the common, the mundane, the things that we think we already know and understand so well, that God can reveal and do brand new things in the midst of all that, right? I mean, that's huge. 
All right? So just personally, I just want to share with you where I'm at these days when it comes to prayer. I attended a conference a couple weeks ago in Birmingham, Alabama. One of the greatest things that I pulled away from that conference is a conviction about my prayer life. Now, it's not that I wasn't praying before, okay? Like, I mean, if you know me, like, I hope you guys have confidence enough to know that I'm I'm praying and stuff, and and I do pray, but I'm not one of those people that's like sitting down on my hands and knees, praying for hours, like going through the prayer request list every day, like I'll just confess with you, I don't do that. Like I pray over the requests that we have in our church letter and stuff, but I don't just sit there every day, call them out by name. Like we have some prayer warriors in our church who do that. I'm thankful for them. I'm not that type of person. I'm a task-oriented person. I like, I'm always thinking about things that I need to do, have to do stuff's on my mind. And so a lot of times when I've prayed, I've had to just kind of keep a, a little notebook paper right beside me because I get distracted. I start thinking about stuff and then I have to write it down and then I got to go back and like pray what I'm going to. And sometimes when I pray, I have to make a list of what I need to be praying about so that I can focus on that because my mind wanders a lot. But what God has really convicted me of in the past couple of weeks is not just a matter of prayer because I do pray. I'm sure many of you pray. But it's a, and it's not even a matter of, of how much that I pray as much as it is the intensity and the whole aspect of how God wants us to pursue him in a relationship. Does that make sense? And not only how he wants us to pursue him, but the things that God has for us. And one of the biggest convictions that I got over the past couple of weeks is, is that my prayer life was not evident enough in my life to make me or to make my life uncomfortable. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying that you in here this morning should be praying in such a way that your life is uncomfortable. That's just something that God laid on my heart personally that I needed to start praying in such a way that like basically I began to build the rest of my life off of that prayer, praying for certain specific things that I need to be praying for. All right. So as we talk about prayer today, it's not just a matter of praying because I'm sure many of you are praying. We're probably asking God for all kinds of things that he can do for us, asking God to protect us, asking God to bless us. We say our blessings. If you're like me, I go around, I, I walk a lot, I pace, I get up during the middle of the day in the office and I just go walk around and I'll pray a little bit, just rest from working on the computer. When I'm riding down the road, when I'm cutting grass, usually it, it may look like I'm talking to myself. I'm not, okay? That's just like, that's usually my prayer thing. But to engage in this relationship with God, to pray in such a way that it does change your life. All right? Because the goal is when we invite Jesus Christ into our heart from the very beginning and he saves us from our sins, there's a change that should take place, right? That we should be different, that he does a work in our life. And for us to go from this point, this day forward, looking at the Lord's Prayer, seeing how Jesus taught us how to pray, that it would be such a way that it would change our life. And if you're sitting here this morning, you know, we talked about last week, if you're not willing to suffer, you're not willing to grow because growth comes with pain. And if you're not willing to grow with the Lord, if you're not willing to, to, to allow him to change your life, then he's not going to. One of the things we're going to talk about that God's not going to trump your free will. He, he's not going to trump the ability and take away your ability to make your choice it is something that you have to choose to engage in him with. And so that's what I want this whole series to be about is us to grow in our prayer life. Not that you're not doing it, but that we do it in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God and that it's life-changing for us as individuals. Is that cool? All right. I'm going to ask you guys to stand as we read the Lord's Prayer together in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Now, you all know I, I usually use the uh, NLT, the New Living Translation. Today, I pulled from the New King James Version because this is the closest to probably how most of you have learned the Lord's Prayer at some point in time in your life. So let's read this together. It says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can read this with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So today, we are focusing specifically on the Father. 
and the importance of whenever you pray to God and you, you seek him, you go to him in prayer, that you refer to him and see him as your father, your heavenly father, because that's very important. And, um, you know, when you, you talk about, oh my goodness, like James, we're, 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 we're really going to walk through the Lord's prayer and you're just going to talk about like every little individual line over the next several weeks. Yes, we are because it needs to be broken down. And whenever I, I, I say a lot of times, you know, it is really hard to sit down and talk about this and to decipher which passages of scripture to use for sermons, because sometimes there are just so many. I had a really hard time this week deciphering which passages to include and which passages to cut out. And today I have 12 references of scripture that go along with the sermon that are like so important. And I cut out so many, but like these are a lot. And they're not just like one verses. I mean, there are like several passages in this that talk about God being our heavenly father and the importance of us understanding that in our lives. And I want to give a disclaimer today. You with me? You need to understand this. Even when you talk to other people about Christ, you need to understand not everybody in the world has had a good father. You with me? It just happened. It happens. Some people didn't even have a father. Some people who had a father, it wasn't a good father. They did not have a good relationship. And that's really hard for us a lot of times to, to remove ourselves from our earthly experience to have a spiritual experience with our heavenly father. But we have to understand today that if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, like we claim we do, to know that through God all things are possible, that God is perfect, that God is eternal, that he is above and beyond everything else that we know and experience in this life, that even though you may not have had a good experience with your father, that it does not mean that God is not the perfect heavenly father who can do all the things that you would expect a father to do. You have to have faith in that. You with me? That's huge. Many of you had good fathers, some of you didn't, and that's okay. But do not limit yourself to your understanding of what a father is. Have faith and trust in God to be a father that you didn't have, that maybe you always wanted as we go into this passage, right? All right, so point number one. Let's go, because we got a lot. There's a big difference between serving a master and serving a father. You need to understand this today. This is huge because most people, whenever they look at God, they look at him as this harsh taskmaster, this very distant person that's unapproachable, that they can't really connect with him. There's always a separation. So you can ask Jesus to come into your heart. You can ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And you can say, like, yeah, I'm a born-again believer. And yet at the same time, you live your life with this feeling of distance between you and the Father. And a lot of people, most people never move past that. But we have to understand that when we come to God, we don't always understand initially who he is. Does that make sense? Like in every relationship that you ever have in life, you don't always understand the person that you meet initially. Even your husband or your wife, like you don't always understand who they are. There is a there's a time that needs to take place for you to get to know them so that you can better know who they are, know how to please them. And the same thing needs to happen with you and God. There needs to be a time that you grow with him in your life so that you know how to pray to him, how to approach him, know what to pray for and all those things. And as you grow in him, you should know him better and understand him more, right? So think about this. I'm going to use my life in a lot of ways today as an example. I think about my relationship with my dad. He's in here today. I'm going to pick on him a little bit. This is going to be fun. All right? Uh, maybe not for him. <laughs> It'll be fun for me. Um, you know, my relationship with my dad has changed significantly over the years. And it should. Right? You know, like I can remember as a kid, I used to be terrified of my father. I don't know if you knew that or not. I was. It was like one of those things. I was a terrible kid. I'm sure you've heard mom and dad talk about that. They, they probably told you all kinds of like crazy stories about how bad of a kid I was. I was, dude. I got in trouble every day at school, every day. In middle school, I sit silent lunch in middle school every day for my entire eighth grade year. Like I was, I was just that kid that was always in trouble, into something constantly. And because of that, there was a lot of discipline 
that took place, and there should have been taking place. Does that make sense? Not, so it's not throwing stones at him. Like, it, it should have been taking place. But because of the discipline aspect, like, dude, I was really afraid of him because I knew most days when he got home, mama was going to tell him what I did, and I was going to get a whipping. Because mama could whip me, and I'd laugh, and I'd, like, go on, and I'd still do the same thing. When daddy come home, he whipped me. I didn't laugh no more. All right? There was some fear in that. And listen to me this morning. Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's healthy fear in that. I would probably be in jail today if I was not afraid of my father. There's no telling what I would have done if I was not afraid of what he would do to me if I did this. Like when I got paddled in middle school, I didn't cry because I got the paddling. It didn't hurt that bad. I cried because I was scared of what daddy was going to do to me when I got home that day. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. You do. And at the same time, you need to understand that he is your heavenly father. And as you grow with him in your relationship with him, the relationship should change in various ways. And so, for example, as I've grown up over the years, number one, I've grown. I'm not as small as I used to be. We're about the same size. Daddy's not quite as intimidating as he used to be. You know, he used to be a lot bigger than me, a lot stronger than me. It's not that way anymore. It doesn't mean I'm still not scared of him, but it's not as bad as it used to be. I also have grown to realize what he likes. You know, whenever you grow and you begin to mature and you realize what pleases people, you can do things in order to please them. So like just growing up, for example, one of the biggest things that we were responsible for doing when we got home immediately from school was you do your homework. All right, that was a big deal. You always did your homework. You did not go play. You didn't do what you wanted to do. When you got home, you did your homework and you did what you had to do. Then you could do what you wanted to do. And that was something that was, that was, that was common at our home. And that was a good thing, right? And so as you get older, you understand, well, it's like, I can avoid a whipping. I can avoid arguments. I can avoid tension. I can avoid a lot of things. If I do what's expected of me and I do that and it pleases him, I can avoid a lot of things if I do what pleases him, okay? The other thing is I know what doesn't please him. I realize what makes him mad. I realize what he's not going to put up with. And so over the years, as you grow and mature, you begin to realize if I don't do these things and if I do these things, life is a lot easier in that situation. And what happens is, is as you grow and mature and you begin to realize those things, and this is just from a, a, an earthly perspective, is that your relationship begins to change and it becomes a lot more pleasant and it moves from a disciplinary relationship to more of a friendship. And that's the way it should be. You with me? That's the way it should be. And so as you look at your relationship with God, it's not necessarily this thing of you shouldn't fear God because you should. But it's a matter of understanding that he is your heavenly father, that he does have the ability to snuff you out at any given moment in time. You heard your parents say, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. There's truth in that. That's the same way with God. God is the one who created and formed you. And at the same time, he holds your life in the palm of his hand. And at any given moment in time, he can choose to remove that for whatever reason he deems necessary. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and we should have fear of him. And at the same time, as we grow in our relationship with him, we can come to him in confidence, knowing that when my dad came home from work and he shut that door and I heard his boots hit the ground in the floor in our kitchen, that I didn't have to be afraid anymore when he come home because I wasn't going to get a whipping because I'd done what I was supposed to do. And you can seek God in confidence when you realize that he is your heavenly father and you begin to understand him more so that you can please him, so that you can avoid the things that make him angry, and you can begin to pursue him in a way that brings joy in your life. And when you look at people in scripture who talk about their relationship with God, you see a very different aspect of their perception of God versus most of our perceptions and people of the world. Because most people see God as this angry, distant, jealous God. They focus on all the negative attributes because it's kind of what they read and what they hear from other people. And it's what they feel because you feel so distant from him. But the people who know God the most intimately, like King David, writes in Psalm chapter 68, verses 3 through 5. And he starts talking about praising God and worshiping him. 
And he says, but let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Now, now, now think about that. Like, we're supposed to fear the Lord. And at the same time, if you're godly, you should be able to rejoice and be glad in his presence. Let them be filled with joy. Sing praises to God and his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father of the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. And when you look at this perspective right here, David is not writing like, oh, God's our friend. We can just approach him just nonchalantly. And he's just like, he's just our buddy and we can rub elbows together. No, there's still an understanding of who God is in this passage. He's the one that rides on the clouds. His dwelling place is holy. God is, he he is far above anything that you could think or imagine. And at the same time, he is our heavenly father. He's father to the fatherless. He's the defender of orphans and widows. He is the one that we can come to and he provides for us and he gives us protection and we can rejoice in his presence because we know that we can come to him in confidence. But it takes time in our life to grow in our relationship with him so that we not only just call him father because we hear other people pray like that and we're just praying like we've heard other people pray, but we understand that, dude, he is our daddy. He is, he's, he's my dad. He's my heavenly father. And no matter what your earthly experience was like, he can be so much more. And to understand that in this life, more than anything, God wants to be with you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to have that. You know, like I, I think about our kids and like we're, we're growing up, but we're not raising them to be our children forever. You know, we want those little rascals. I was about to call them something else. We want those little rascals to grow up so that we can, so that we can get them, you know, not get necessarily get them out of the house so that they can be self-sufficient. And like, my thing is, is like one of the things I, I tell the staff and I tell everybody, you need to do your job in a way that's training somebody else that if you died in a car wreck today, that somebody else could step in and do what you're doing and take over and the, the ball keeps rolling. And as a parent, you should be raising your kid so if you die in a car wreck today, that your kid could be as self-sufficient and solidified in the Lord as much as possible so that they can function without you being there in their life. That's how you should be training them. That's what God wants for you. God wants you to be strong and efficient in his kingdom. And at the same time, he wants to be there for you and have that relationship with you. And when you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's talking to them about how our bodies are the temple and why that's important and how that relates to our relationship with God. And you look and it says, and what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God said, I will live in them and walk among them. You need to understand today that God's desire is to live inside of you and to walk with you. He's not this harsh taskmaster that's at a distance and just wants you to check your list and do your job, and then he comes around every once in a while, gives you a pat on the back, and says, good job, buddy. Now go finish doing some more chores and give me my space because you're just my servant, and I only want you around whenever I need to tell you something. God wants to live in you. He wants to walk with you. And he says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, Come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them. Yes, says the Lord. Don't touch your filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. But you need to understand today that that like you don't get to have this like close personal relationship with the father if you're constantly disobeying him. If you're constantly ignoring the things that you know that pleases him, you don't get to have that friendship. You don't get to have that relationship, that loving relationship, if you're constantly living in a way where there's guilt in your life and basically you're creating the separation between you and God. But if you remove yourself from the world, if you come out of the world and you don't touch their filthy things, you don't participate in their filthy things, and you do the things that pleases God... And you, do, and you make sure that you don't do things that displease him, your relationship with God begins to change. And it takes faith to do that because you may not feel all up lovey-dovey in God's presence 
from the very beginning. But you've got to step out on faith and you've got to start living in a way that is pleasing to him so that you can wake up every day with confidence knowing that there's nothing in your life that displeases him and you can approach him boldly like a child comes to their father. Any of you ever go to your dad and ask for something before? He's like, Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can I have this? Did he always say yes? No. Did that ever stop you from coming back and asking for something else? No. Like you constantly went and asked for stuff. That's what we do. And so we can come to God with confidence because his desire is for us to be his children and to be with us, to live in us and walk with us. You must know your father well enough to know what pleases him. Point number two. Acknowledging God as Father puts all things in perspective. Like when you think about life, when you think about perspective, when you think about priorities, acknowledging God as your Father will put everything else in perspective. Even for you, not just for you personally in your understanding of the Father, but even as you witness and minister to other people and you tell other people about Jesus Christ. By the way, if you're not doing that, you're failing in part of your relationship with Christ. You are a witness and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you are preaching to other people and you're talking to other people and you're loving on them and witnessing them and telling them about Jesus Christ, you need to be able to communicate that God is not this distant, harsh taskmaster that can't be understood and can't be approached. When you look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 30 through 31, the Old Testament is renowned by many people who are not Christians to read it and look at it and, and see God as very harsh and, and, and judgmental. And, and I'm saying that from a worldly perspective. I don't believe that at all. But when you, when you read it, it can be greatly misunderstood if you really don't know God and know his intentions and know his desire for your life. So when you look at Deuteronomy, what would be one of the hardest areas of the Bible to look at after God has really punished the Israelites a lot. You with me? I mean, like, he, he's opened up the ground. A lot of them's been swallowed in the ground. He, he's divvied out diseases and punishment. He made them wander through the wilderness for 40 years because they disobeyed him and worshiped idols. And he did all this stuff, and God disciplined them. And that seems really harsh, but that's part of being a father. And so when that journey, when that 40-year journey is coming to an end, Moses is having this conversation. He's kind of speaking to the Israelites and he's reminding them, he's kind of reviewing with them about all the things that's happened. And he says, the Lord your God is going ahead of you. He's talking about into the promised land because the 40-year journey is coming to an end. But God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you. Even though you've been disobedient, even though we, we've, we've had our, our moments and you haven't done everything you were called to do, he's still going to fight for you. Just as you saw him do in Egypt long ago, and you saw how the Lord your God cared for you along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as the father cares for his child, now he has brought you to this place. As a father cares for his child. How many of you growing up? How many of your parents always gave you food to eat? If you had decent parents, basically, like, they always made sure you got to eat. How many of you always wanted the food that you had to eat? How many of you would have rather had something at some point in time, something else? How many of you always had clothes, always had shoes, always had everything you needed to function in life because that's what good parents do? Now, think about it. Did you always have the clothes that you wanted? Did you always have the pair of shoes that you necessarily wanted? Did you always have the food or the snack or whatever that you, the car that you wanted? No, but a good father provides. A good father doesn't always give us what we want, but he always provides what we need. And when you look at this passage of scripture, it's talking about God providing for his children, providing for the people of Israel 40 years through the winters. He punished them. 40 years traveling, walking through the wilderness was punishment. He gave them food every day. He gave them water every time they needed it. And he made their shoes and their clothes last the entire... Didn't even give them new shoes or clothes, but he just made them sustain for those 40 years through the entire journey because God is a father who loves us. He doesn't always give us what we want, but he always gives us what we need. And you need to understand that when you start talking about 
God and him being our father and understanding that he provides for us. Now think about this. As a parent, our kids do all kinds of stuff that drive us nuts, right? Kids, I don't know if you understand this. You do, like I did. Uh, We all do. We all did uh, at some point in time. A couple days ago, I mean, I guess it was Friday, our kids were terrible. I mean, they were like possessed by Satan the entire day. They did not take naps. Like Perry laid in bed for two hours, rolled around, would not take a nap, got back up, could not function because he was so tired. They cried, they fought, they bit each other. Like I was ready to drown them, okay? I, I mean, like seriously, I had to like get up and go out in the yard and just do something to get out of the house so I would not lose it. You with me? You ever been there? All right, don't act like you haven't. Don't act like you're holier than thou all of a sudden because we're in church. Like I was about to lose it. And so I had to get up and go out and just like do something else. Like I went out in the garage and just like cleaned, you know, it's like I just got to get out of here. But it doesn't change the fact that I love them. You with me today? It doesn't change the fact that I don't care for like, and like when I went in bed, you know, put them to bed at night and everything. And it's like, it didn't change the fact I didn't love them, even though they drove me crazy. And even though we spanked them and we took stuff from them. And we would not let them have something else until they ate their food. I mean, it was just, it was a battle all day long. It was exhausting. But it doesn't change the fact that I didn't love them. You with me today? And we need to understand that, that just because there are times in our life that, that times are hard, or we feel like we're being punished, and maybe we know why we're being punished, maybe we don't know why we're being punished, or there's consequences to our sin and we're having to endure the consequences of our choices and it really stinks at the time. And a lot of times we think, man, like, God, do you even love me right now? It's like, you know, it's like, how many of you had a kid while you were disciplining them? Your kid says, you hate me. You don't love me. It's terrible. <laughs> we got pointing fingers. Real mature adults over here pointing fingers at their kids. Just because there are times where you're deprived of things that you want. And sometimes you feel like you need them. Now, now think about this. There, there are things that, that Perry and Naomi, who are at the ripe, wise ages of three and a half and a year and a half, they really believe they need a lot of things. And just because we deprive them of those things does not mean that we don't love them. Like, actually, like, depriving them of things sometimes is more loving than giving them what they want or what they, you know, think that they need. That, and when you look at the whole aspect of, of times in our life where times are hard or we're struggling or we have physical ailments or, the, or we're dealing with situations and, and we feel like all this stuff, like, God, where are you at? Why, why do you feel like... You're not even here, and life stinks right now. And then the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 12, verses 5 through 9, where he's talking about God's discipline proves love. And we're not just talking about God spanking you when you do something stupid. We're talking about any aspect of life where you may feel like your needs are not being met or, or like life is hard or you're just like struggling in this moment, but God is disciplining you. He's helping you become more disciplined as a person, as a follower of Jesus Christ for whatever reason. And you look at what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 12, verses 5 through 9. It says, And have you forgotten the encouraging words of God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child. God looks at us as his children. All right? He doesn't look at you as his servant or his slave. Like, there's a lot of passages of Scripture. That, that you know, uses the analogy of the servant-master relationship, but there's a lot more talking about the child and the father. And God looks at us and he says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't sit here today and act like, okay, God's discipline is, is garbage and you don't trust it and you, you despise it. Don't make light of it. And don't give up when he corrects you. You can't give up. You can't give up when things are not going your way. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. He punishes because you're his. He loves you. He lays claim to you. That's like, that's pretty cool. 
The fact that God loves you enough to claim you as his and say, because you're mine, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to train you up. Verse 7, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Now, this is really sad. You can tell this was written a long time ago because we live in a day and time where there's a lot of children who's grown up without a dad or they had a dad and the dad didn't discipline like he should. There's a lot of that going on today. And that's really sad because the author is saying, who ever heard of a father like that? There's a lot of dads like that. And so our understanding of an earthly father should not outweigh our expectations and understanding of our heavenly father. Our heavenly father loves you because he loves you. He's going to discipline you. Verse 8, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. If God was not disciplining you in your life, and like I said, this is not just a spanking when you do something wrong. This is, you know, bringing you through hard times allowing you to experience difficulties because he is training you up for something more than just what you know or see or understand in this physical world. God is disciplining you and getting you ready for something. Verse 9, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Because when we submit to the discipline of God, it brings eternal life. You live forever. If you don't submit to the discipline of God, he can't work and move in your life. He's not going to move past your free will and just overtake your life and possess you against your will. You have to be willing to humble yourself and approach God as Father, allow Him to discipline you, allow Him to maneuver and work in your life, and be willing to allow Him to teach you. How many of you love me and taught new stuff? It's really funny as adults, like we, we do and we say that and a lot of times we hate it too because whenever they change stuff at work and they change computer systems and programs and the way that they do stuff and they change all these rules, like this is so stupid, this worked just fine just before, why we haven't changed it now? I'm too old to be learning all this. I have two kids, well I have one, Perry, three and a half years old, does not want to be taught anything. It is so frustrating and it's like, Having him in, in, with anything in life, and I watch him, and he is so talented. He, like, he, he's so talented. He has, like, the ability to about do anything that he'll ever want to do. Extremely smart, talented, but he has the willingness of a disabled donkey. Like, you cannot teach him anything. And so we'll be out in the yard and even, like, playing baseball or t-ball or something. And so it's like he's just at that point in life. He don't, he don't want you to teach him or show him how to do anything. And if I go over to him and I try to say, no, buddy, this is how you do it. Stand this way, hit the ball this way. Like, he'll just drop it and walk off. Like, he automatically quits playing. It's like, he's not going to learn how until he's ready to learn how. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you, you know, like, you can't reason with a toddler, like, you just can't. Like, they're not capable of reasoning with a, to with a toddler. They're not capable of reasoning. And when you look at God and his relationship with you, a lot of times we're just not capable of reasoning because we don't want to. We literally think, nope, you take a baseball bat and you put the ball on the ground and you use it like a golf club. That's how you're supposed to do it. And he is 100% convinced that's how it's done. And I say, okay, well, he must like golf. And I give him a golf club and he goes and he starts chopping away at trees and the house and windows and all kinds of stuff. You cannot reason with people who don't want to be taught. You have to be willing to humble yourself before the Lord, allow him to teach you, allow him to guide you, allow him to discipline you. Because even most of you know as a kid, as a kid growing up, some of you may have grew up in homes where you felt like the hand of your father or somebody in your home, the, the hand of discipline was too heavy. And whenever you felt like that and you were of age, you said, I ain't doing this no more. Like, I'm not going to let them treat me like that. I'm not going to let them talk to me like that. I'm going to go earn my money. I'm going to go do what I want to do. I'm going to go out there and make it myself, and I don't need them to be all up on me and in my business. And there's a lot of people who's done that. That's the American way. But that's not God's way. 
We are supposed to be humble and allow God to teach us and mold us. Paul talks about our relationship between us and God in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. It says, I'll praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. When you look at God and his desire, before the world ever began, before all of creation, God already chose to create you. Whoever you are, he chose to create you and his desire from the very beginning was to adopt you into his family. Now we have to use the analogy of adoption because like we, we straight away, we do our own things and we have to be adopted into God's family because most of us start out not being in God's family. But we were always his. We may not have realized it. We may not have known it, but we were always his. He created us. He formed us. His plan was for us to be his children his prized possession, and to adopt us into his family brought him great pleasure. In verse 6 it says, So we praise God for the glorious grace he poured out on us who who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us with his kindness. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God wants to shower you and give you wisdom and understanding and bless you and give you the richness of forgiveness. Nothing pleases him more than for us to acknowledge him as father. And that's exactly what Jesus did. You know, as a Christian, we're supposed to follow the example of Christ. God was his father and he was always pursuing him, always wanting to be with him, always living in prayer. Point number three, acknowledging God as father reveals our purpose. So many people today want to know what their purpose is. If you're sitting in here this morning and you're young, and you're saying like, man, what am I supposed to do when I grow up? What, what profession am I going to have? What has what what God created me to be? And you're looking for purpose, and you're looking for guidance in your life. And maybe there's some of you adults who are sitting here today. Maybe if you're older, you know, it's like, well, you don't have kids anymore. Maybe you're retired, and, you know, you, you don't feel like you, there's a whole lot of purpose in your life anymore. Don't buy into that lie. Acknowledging God as your father gives you great purpose. It gives you great value. And when you look at Luke chapter 15, verse 20, you know, we talked about the whole adoption process and basically we have to return to the Lord. And you look at how Jesus explains the relationship between God and people. And he gives us the parable of the prodigal son. And he talks about this son that takes the family inheritance. He, he goes and he lives in, like, parties it up, prostitution, drunkenness. He, he blows all the money. He does all the stupid stuff that you could possibly imagine that a kid can do. Goes out, runs out of money, loses everything, falls on his face, feeding pigs, ends up eating with the pigs with their rotten food. Everything that you can imagine, like this kid really messed up. And the kid comes to his senses and says, you know what? I'm going to go home and I'll, I'll confess and I'll just say, God, I, or Father, I'll be your servant. I'll just be one of the hired servants. And he had decided in his, in his life that he's going to go back to God and he's just going to be one of the servants. You remember how we talked about the servant-master relationship? Most people perceive God or the Father as this servant-master relationship when in reality it's very different, like it may start off feeling like a servant-master relationship, but as you approach God, you begin to realize very quickly that, dude, he loves you. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. And you look at what he says in Luke 15, verse 20. It says, so when he returned home to his father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The father didn't even give him time to repent, didn't give him time to confess, didn't give him time to say, 
you know, the speech that he had prepared to, to, to be back in his presence at this time. He saw him coming. He welcomed him back in. That's what Jesus said the kingdom of God is like. When we return to the Father and we come to him, he welcomes us in. He hugs us. He kisses us. He comforts us. And yes, the son did repent. Yes, he did apologize. Yes, he did say, I will be your servant. But the father says, nope, you're not my servant. You're my son. Go get my robe. Go get the ring. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate because my son has come back home. My child is back home. That's what God always wanted. He wants us to return to him. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, Paul talks about this to the church in Rome. Again, this whole idea of master-servant relationship is addressed. He says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. You're not just a servant. You're not just this hand that's tasked with doing something. You are a child of the king. That's so important to remember. Yes, you do have responsibilities. You do. There are things that you should be doing and taking care of. As a child living in a good home growing up, I had responsibilities. I had chores that I was expected to do. There were things that I was expected to accomplish before I was allowed to do other things. That's a good home. There might be things that you are tasked to do, that you're accomplished to do, but you're not a servant. You're a child. But even children are called to be contributors to the home, right? Okay. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. You see, see the difference? Like There's a change. Now we call him Daddy. He's not Master. He, he's Daddy. And I don't know about y'all, but like a good home generally has a father who, who is a good leader, who is in charge, who does tell everyone what to do. And whenever it comes down to making a decision, usually a father should be the one to say, okay, this is it. This is what we're going to do. He is Daddy. He is Father. And he is in charge. And verse 16 says, For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So if you're a child of God, which is what we should all want because it's what God wants, you are promised to share in his glory, but you got to share in the suffering to go along with it. Like you don't just get to inherit your inheritance because it's owed to you. You have to contribute to the inheritance and maintain it and build it so when the time comes, you can receive it. Now, I don't know how many of you have like pay attention to stuff over the years, but a lot of times I've noticed in my life that a lot of young people have a really hard time contributing to their parents' estate as their parents begin to age and they're focused on work and they're focused on their own children. And a lot of times their parents' estates, their homes, their property, their, their different assets that they have becomes dilapidated because they begin to be neglected. Because as a person gets older, they can't care for it the same way they used to, right? And so then what happens is over time, people inherit a home or a property or this thing that has almost gone to ruin because it hasn't been cared for because there hasn't been anything invested in it from the children to make sure that it's maintained so that when you do receive it, that it's actually worth receiving. That's just an earthly analogy. And, and I want to share with you this morning that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are called by God to be ministers of the gospel. You should be preaching Jesus to people. Like the chances of you witnessing to someone and them being saved is much greater than someone coming to know Christ here on Sunday morning. It just is. Like you have a much better statistical probability that someone will be saved through your ministry than saved through my ministry. You will be in contact with many more people throughout the week than I will be. And we're called to build the kingdom. And we got to suffer with God to build the kingdom. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. But we know one day that we're going to build this kingdom and we're going to suffer with Christ here and now. But when it comes time to inherit the kingdom, we're going to get to share in the glory and the goodness of that kingdom. And it takes faith to believe that and to be willing to invest in it. That's not easy. 
because it's not something that you can see right now. There are things in this world that you're going to have to give up. There's going to be time that you have to give up in order to invest in the kingdom of God to receive that inheritance and, and to share in that glory on the other side. You've got to believe that that's waiting on you. If you don't believe and you don't have faith, you're not going to do it. That's why a lot of people don't do it. We say we believe in Christ, but whenever it comes to truly giving up stuff, we have a really hard time. Point number four, this last one. Your father knows what you need and wants to provide for you. Most of us spend our prayer life asking God for things that he can give us. God protect us. God keep us safe. God be with so-and-so. Help my grandma with her bunion. Help, help you know, Betty Jo with her tooth got knocked out. You know, whatever. We just pray for stuff all the time. We're constantly asking for stuff. And when Jesus is teaching people how to pray, all right, he, gives them, he gives them the model of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to work through it over the next several weeks. You're going to see that a lot of times it's like it's not really focused on needs. Like there's, there's, there's a time in there where it mentions our need, but it doesn't focus on our needs. But our prayer life a lot of times focuses around our needs or, or, or our wants. And, and, you know, you have to be honest enough. You just need to be mature enough. That it don't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. All right, from the youngest person in here to the oldest person to the person who's been saved the longest. We may not always be able to decipher between what we want and what we need. A lot of times that gets clouded. You with me today? It just does. A lot of times we think we, we need this, we want this. There's been so many times in my life I can point back to things that I prayed about. It's like, God, why? God, why? God, why? And 20 years later, I look back and like, thank you, God, that you didn't answer that prayer because you knew what you were doing. I thought I needed that. I thought that I wanted that. And God, I'm so glad because now I wouldn't even want it. I know I don't need it. I wouldn't even want it now. But God knows we have to have faith in that. In Matthew 7, verses 9 to 11, Jesus teaches about effective prayer. He says, your parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? You got to love Jesus' humor in this. I mean, it's so sarcastic. I mean, like, this is, this is great. Do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Can you imagine that? Like, here, you want something to eat? Eat the snake. It's weird. Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? You with me today? It's not sinful for you to approach the Father and ask him for things. You with me? It's not. A lot of times whenever we come and we pray to the Lord, we need to be wise enough to realize there's a difference between wants and needs. To know that God will always provide your needs and he may not always provide your wants. We talked about it a while ago. You went to your father and you asked for all kinds of stuff growing up, right? I mean, There's all kinds of stuff that I asked for as a kid. And, and, and some of those times, it, it wasn't provided because it, was, it wasn't possible. You know, it's like, who, I don't know if you ever asked for a roller coaster in your backyard or like something crazy like that. It's like, that's ridiculous. Like people ask for all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's just not even like feasible to, to contemplate. Other times it's just because they didn't have the means to do it. Other times it was specifically because they purposefully chose not to give us what we were asking for, for the future benefit of our own selves. To understand that there's a lot of times, like you can look at it from all kinds of perspectives, that even that, that they didn't give it to you because they wanted to teach you to learn how to work and, and earn it yourself. There's, there's all kinds of reasons why parents make decisions like that. When you look at your heavenly father, he knows how to give good gifts. You're talking about the God who we believe owns everything, can give anything. There's nothing that he doesn't have access to that he can't give you. But we can't be caught up on what we want. We have to trust God to provide what we need. And so he talks about it in chapter 6 of Matthew in verse 26. And he's talking to us about not worrying about worldly things. Because as his children, you are called to much more than just worrying about worldly things. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? You don't have to worry about stuff because you are the most valuable thing to God. 
James chapter 1, verses 16 and 18 says, Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts shifting shadows. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. So when you look at the sun, the moon, the stars, the 250-something billion galaxies that are still being counted. Like You look at our solar system, the earth, like life, like of all things that God created, you're his favorite. That's cool. I mean, like of everything, like you just go different places around the world, you can see some sites, you're like, this is amazing. I went to Niagara Falls one time, and I just watched all the water. I'm like, this is, dude, this is powerful. How in the world, like, you think about the amount of water and the force behind that. It's like, it's one of the most powerful things I'd ever seen. It's like, we're so much greater to him than that. Any creation, anything that exists, we're his favorite. He wants to be with us. He wants us to pursue him. And we need to get to the point in our life where we're pursuing him in a way that pleases him. It's not just about praying because we're supposed to pray. It's not about praying because it's check off your, your task list, you little servant. No, you're a child of God. I don't know about y'all, but like any kid that loves her daddy wants to be with her daddy, right? It doesn't matter how many times I spank Perry or spank Naomi or how many times I take something from them. It was hilarious. We were in the Mexican restaurant last night. Naomi was standing up in her high chair, popped her on the butt, said, sit down, kid. But daddy's here. I didn't do that. You know, it was just, but I did pop her on the butt. She, she cried. Two minutes later, guess what she did? She leaned over and said, she just wanted to know it was okay. Every kid wants to be with their father. They want to know that the relationship is good and healthy. And you can look at it from people who had terrible moms and terrible fathers, even people who's been given up for adoption. Guess what they always want? They just want that relationship. They, they seek it. They want it. You need to understand today that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. But you have to allow him to be a part of your life. You know, a lot of you have kids or you've been through that process where your kids are old enough now. Where they're just like, no, 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 no. Like, don't do that. That's embarrassing. I just, I need some space. I need, you know, I, I want to do this on my own. I need some space. And so as a parent, you may like distance yourself from them. Give them their space. Let them do what they want to do. But not once do you ever just be like, well, if they don't want me, done with them. No, you sit back at a distance and you just wait on them to say, hey, help me. There's a lot of times I've let our kids so far do some somewhat dangerous stuff, but I'm right there waiting to catch them if they fall. That's how our Heavenly Father is. Just because you're avoiding Him or you don't want Him in your life doesn't mean He's not there. He's there. He's just waiting on you to call his name. He's waiting on you to seek him, to allow him to come in and be the father that he's always wanted to be to you. And when you start talking about prayer and acknowledging him as your father, it's very different. None of you, most of you in here probably don't go to work and it's like, man, I can't wait to go see my boss. I love having meetings with my boss. Because there's a big difference between servant and master than there is between a child and a father. And so personally, there's a need for us to acknowledge him as father. And as a church, as a body of believers, you with me today? As a body of believers, there's a great need to acknowledge him as father because we need to understand that we are brothers and sisters of the same family, that we all are called to be a help of the house, to build the kingdom of God. Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. It says, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father over all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. 
even as a church, we need to acknowledge him as father because we need to all understand like we're a family. We're in this together. And it's like, although we live in an earth right now where it may not always seem like we're all brothers and sisters and we all love each other very much, we're called to be preparing for what's to come. And in God's kingdom, we'll be together. And the thing that unites us, every single one of us, is that we all have the same daddy. That's huge. And so when you pray, it's not just a matter of focusing on what you can get, what you can have, making sure that he just provides all your needs. It's understanding that he is your dad and that he has already made arrangements for a lot of that stuff. But he wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you more. He wants to prepare you to do the tasks, your chores that you're supposed to do in his house as a child of the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day and this opportunity. God, I pray that you would be with us today. Remind us once again that you are not some distant, harsh master. But God, you are our heavenly father. And you have adopted us into your family, Lord. You have made us your children. You want to be a part of our lives. You want to provide for us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be humble enough to allow you to come in and be the father that you've always wanted to be to us. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.